You know what I always think about, Brace? What? Do you remember, like, it must have been the second or third episode that we did. Mm, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yes. And it was, I think it was the opening. We were sitting in Young Chomsky's little studio on the very couch that Brace would soon lose his phone inside okay. of. Yeah, that's not my fault that couch was made like that. Which we then could not get out, get it out of because we couldn't lift the cushions out of. Anyway, that's a separate. That's a separate. The cushions were attached. It was not. It was a psycho couch. Yeah, I'd never seen a couch like that. Very in my comfortable. Life. However, we were sitting on that couch, that very couch, mm-hmm. and you were like, "I know how we're going to start the episode," and you proceeded to. Well, do you want to do it? You come to me. You come to me on the day of my daughter's molesting. <laughs> You you really want me to do? You come to me on the day of my daughter's molesting, when I offer her up to this older gentleman. You come to me, and you ask me to do a podcast episode. Oh my! What are you a fagazuli? What are you smoking some sopressetta? And uh, so on and so on. Unfortunately, I've had jowl removal surgery since then and can Mm. no longer do it. But that's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're taking a trip to Italy. Buongiorno, cocksuckers. My name is Brace Belden. Hello, everyone. Dawn of Yawns. And I am joined by my beautiful princess. No, don't ever call me that. Hi, everyone. I'm Liz. And we're joined by my my darling young son, young Chomsky. And together we make a family. Called. This is true, Anon. Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm the we shy have. Guy. You're acting a little shy today. I'm the shy Don. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to extort him. He would yell at I me. I don't want to be the boss of all bosses. I have to hit him in the kneecaps. What if he's taller than me? Oh, Actually, I guess man. that would make it easier. Um, we're so excited because we're having on Matt from Ghost Stories uh, from the End of the World. Uh-huh. which is a podcast we both really love, to talk about something that, okay, we have in many, many episodes mm-hmm. referred to the mafia in the past, yes. the Italian mafia. We've talked about their relationship with the U.S. We've talked about their relationship with the CIA. What other intelligence agencies have we talked with MI6? We've talked about how S-I-D-E, deeply yeah. embedded the mafia is in intelligence agencies. We've talked about the intelligence agencies embedding themselves in Italian politics with helps of with the help of the mob, right? Yeah. Um, when in our episodes about the years of lead, in our episodes about the history of NATO, I'm I'm just like thinking off the top of my head. But we have never ever JFK. Of course, JFK. How could I forget? But we've never ever talked about the mafia itself. We've never given them their own episodes. Would that be Mafia Quo Mafia? <laughs> Is that, would that be? Qua, I think. Qua. It'd be Mafia Qua Mafia. Yeah. 
That's and the name of should that be the episode name? Mafia qua mafia. Yeah, let's That's do, a horrible let's do episode a name. Really bad episode name. Yeah, let's we can we can workshop that a little yeah, bit. Okay. But um we've never really done it. And so we thought we should have Matt on because this is a huge fucking topic. We're doing a kind of 101 style, right? Brace, can mm-hmm. you explain? So sometimes on the little podcast we like to call True and On, uh, we do, we're a sort of general audience podcast. And we uh, like to do a little, like, you know, we do a little Deep State 101. We do like sort of, I guess, these uh, Vox style explainer episodes, but to really explainer. get. There's a apostrophe, explainer. Explainer. This is actually literally what Liz calls these behind the scenes. Uh, They're called do, that, splainers. We do a little splainer episode, and uh, we figured, why not? Let's do a motherfucking Cosa Nostra splainer, but also, not just a splainer, a little bit of a case study for how mafias writ large uh, tend to operate mm. uh, in relation to the state. Yeah, because the boss of all bosses uh-huh. was recently arrested. In Sicily, after being in hiding for about 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Which, I gotta be real, that's... I'm like, all right, buddy, that's a long time to be hiding. What are you, a little kid? No, he's a very old man now. Definitely an old man. He got arrested because he had an old man disease. But still wearing rimless Fendi glasses, very Bella Hadid looking. He also had kind of like a shepherd's look on. Like, he had like Mm. a sheep-lined coat and matching hat. Uh, it's kind I of a will, bucket hat. A, but kind of bucket hat. It's crazy. He was also wearing giant, I don't know enough about clothes to actually keep going with this, but imagine I mentioned a streetwear brand of pants, and he was also wearing a massive 4XL cookies sweatshirt underneath. Mm. I think his coat looked very much like a totem style shearling. For sure. That's Which <laughs> some that's, of the ladies out there will know what I'm talking about. Well, call me a totam style shearling because I am about to wow, I don't I literally don't know what that is enough to even make a segue out of that. Fuck. Fuck. I can't segue. You know what? Let's just get to the show. Bonjourno. It is so nice of you young people to join me, Don Jabba Von Hato, in my citrus grove, Casa, here in the mountains of Chisjeli. <laughs> As you know, I am a very old man at 42, but due to the amount of wheat-based meals that I have had in my life, I do have the body of a 300-year-old space slug. Of course, I am a man of great honor. I have killed hundreds of uh, people below the age of 16. I have extorted thousands of small cigarette and lottery shop, uh, you know, shops, etc. And I have sold 17 grams of cocaine narcochani since 1997. Let me kiss you deeply with my tongue on both of your cheeks. And welcome you to the show. Hello. Today we have with us Matt. Of course, the only man who likes adult women in Britain and the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Ghost Stories for the End of the World. Today, here to talk with us about Sicilian stories, 
for the bottom of Italy. Uh, oh Matt, <laughs> buongiorno, welcome. Uh, Don Jabba, uh, of my, uh, my, my friend has receded from the microphone and a young upstart Jewish cocaine seller. My name, Brace, welcoming you to True and On. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Matt, we're so excited to have you on. Yes, I'm excited to be here. We've both been big fans of the podcast for such a long time, and it's this is the perfect when Brace suggested this and this this partnership that we're about to, um, you know, this journey we're about to embark on together. In these next two episodes, uh, it, it is so perfect to have you here for this, and we're so excited because this is such a huge talking about the mafia, talking about the Sicilian mafia in particular is just such a huge huge topic mm-hmm. and you're the perfect person to help walk us through all of it wow yeah cool i'm looking forward to this um and my i think my overriding ambition here is to get americans to stop calling it la cosa nostra and if i can <laughs> do that i feel like i will have been of some value tonight. all right we're going to start you off with a question here why not la cosa nostra because um la cosa nostra translates to the our thing Mm-hmm. So LCN sounds cool, but it, it, you know, grammatically it doesn't quite work. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of go back on that for a second and tell you, I spent a long time last night, um, looking up this fake, uh, Supreme brand that I think that probably the mafia started in Italy where they just call it like Supreme bruschetta or some bullshit like that. Yeah. And I'm like, if they can make their own Supreme out there, I'm like, we can call it La Casa Nostra. Yeah, we we can bend the language. Let's do it. Yeah. I think exactly. in that spirit, La Casa Nostra sounds more like a t-shirt brand than a mafia. It does. It definitely which does. Which would make sense that Americans would latch onto that. <laughs> and, and I will say this before we really get into this too um, – one thing that I, you know, I'm no by by no means a mafia expert, right? But I do, from what I can understand, and from my view of of guys who are in the mafia in their 30s and their 40s, a uh, sort of the, the older generation, but not the oldest generation, obviously, uh, they're men who like to wear t-shirts with rhinestones on them, um, <laughs> sort of tight t-shirts that that are form fitting to. Uh, rather formless bodies, if you know what I mean. Or mm-hmm. maybe bodies are a little too much form. Yeah. Uh, and I will say this. This True and On episode, as all True and On episodes, are dedicated to the brave men who wear one size too small t-shirts <laughs> with a skull and a rhinestone on them. Absolutely. That is our audience. That is who we do this show for. And that is who I fucking wake up for every fucking day and decide to like, I'm going to live for you. That's why our I get up in the fan. morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to anyone who's swagging out there, uh, we we give you a hearty swag salute. <laughs> um, let's check out this fucking – check out this transition right here. So we are talking about the motherfucking mafia, in particular Cosa Nostra, not the La Cosa Nostra, to, about Cosa Nostra. And to do that, I want to hit us with a little news hook here on which to hang our newsy coat on. So a man named, and by the way, I also want to preface this episode and the next episode with the fact that I am a regular white person from San Francisco, okay? And so if I mispronounce any of the Italian names that are in these episodes- Well, ding, Italian. 
Yes, the letter I starts the word, so I don't know why I'm in trouble for that. Um, if I mispronounce, or anyone here mispronounces the names, let me tell you this. You could actually pronounce a name however you'd like. Well, that's why it's so great that we have Matt here, because you're Italian, and your pronunciation of all these names is so... Mwah. I, I am probably I the least the, Italian-British man sign. of all time, so it's, <laughs> it's great to hear that. I'd say I have a possible pronunciation, but the earlier episodes of the show are very funny because... I just have this incredibly thick Yorkshire accent, and I'm talking about like the Sicilian mafia. And <laughs> it's very strange. So, a man named Matteo Messina Denaro was recently mm. arrested in Palermo, the capital of Sicily. So, this guy, this was actually pretty big news. Um, this made international headlines. Uh, and Denaro which I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is not the most difficult name that we'll be um that we'll be dealing with here. Was sort of known as like the last of the like sort of old school and by which I mean like 1990s um mafia bosses. He was sort of he was sort of he's being portrayed in the media whether this is as real as they're portraying it or not. He's being portrayed as like the top fucking dog in Cosa Nostra. And his his arrest is a is a massive blow to the organization that has suffered its fair share of setbacks within the last thirty years. In fact, since basically he's been on the run, which has been, by the way, since nineteen ninety three. So he spent thirty years on the run. So Denaro's background is rather, I guess, typical for somebody who would be in his position. Um, his father was a guy named Don Siccio. How would I pronounce that? Ciccio. Okay. A mafioso who died on the run in 1998, although he died of natural causes, and his body was left out fully wearing a suit for the police to find because, as as those who might follow mafia business know a little bit, a lot of the times they're not allowed to have actual funerals for people who are in the mafia, and this was about as close as they would probably get for him. Um, he, his father rather got his start as an armed guard on the wealthy D'Ali families. I'm I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong too. A state, which is a tried and true method of forging links between the mafia and Sicilian elites. So this has actually been going on since like the 1800s, which is essentially serving as like an armed guard for like a very wealthy person who themselves is probably connected or almost certainly connected to the underworld. So his dad worked his way up through the ranks in the employ of this family whose head was a member of P2, which hmm. for listeners of our podcast and actually your podcast as well, Matt, will recognize as Propaganda Dewey, the uh, very – I don't even know how to fully encapsulate it in one sentence, but a um, – Neo-fascist say- Masonic – Lodge, I suppose. Yes, yeah. with which members ranging from you know the heads of the Italian security services to Silvio Berlusconi to uh, a lot of people involved in the Catholic Church, despite the fact that being a Mason and being a Catholic are uh, two things that are you're not allowed to be. So Denaro was actually a member of Cosa Nostra during their war on the Italian state in the early 1990s, something that we'll get to in the second episode, but which is pretty important for this because. This was a massive, basically, terror campaign by the Sicilian Mafia in as a that functioned essentially as a full-on like terror war against the Italian central government. A war, I would say, that Cosa Nostra lost. Uh, yeah. Although mm-hmm. how badly they lost is sort of remains to be seen. But they definitely lost. Um, 
just sort of on their own terms of like why they were fighting. They did not achieve many of their goals or if mm. any of their goals. Uh, and Denaro has been on the run since then. He also famously strangled an 11 year old boy. Well, actually he kidnapped an 11 year old boy, kept the boy in his custody for a couple of years and then strangled the kid at age 14 and dissolved his body in a vat of acid because his father, who is one of Denaro's friends was going to turn state's evidence against the Sicilian mafia. Uh, he's killed dozens, probably connected to the murder of hundreds of people. And uh, just an overall, a pretty vicious uh, and brutal crook. I just want to pause for a second real quick. And I, I mean, I know we're going to get to this in the second episode, but just to highlight, you know, uh, that just the 1992 for Italy was like a real turning point mm -hmm. just for the state where it was basically like, I don't know how else to just, it's like a year of mayhem where yeah. it felt, I think it felt like Italy was basically on the precipice of descending into just absolute darkness, you yeah. know, like mm -hmm. um, it, it seemed like every month there was uh, something new. You had the maxi trial, you had the bribesville scandal, then you had the death of Falcone or the, you know, the killing of Falcone. It was just like, over and over over again like um it, it's hard to i think for americans uh, to kind of uh, the, the amount of mayhem i think is just there's no real comparison and it was really like that year that the state had to kind of step in and say okay are we really going to do something about this or not and that's where the, the the you know the war really you know kind of hits yeah it was a I would say like a, a culmination of lots of converging forces that some, a lot of them stretch back beyond World War II, but many sure. of them have been developing since then. And the, I suppose you could say, you could argue from the late 60s up to the late 80s, situation was kind of becoming more and more untenable. And then finally, by the 1990s, boom, it all explodes. Well, one thing that didn't explode is Denaro because he kept his funky little ass hidden in a hideaway for the past 30 years. In fact, he wasn't exactly hidden. You know, there's this sort of like notion that mafia bosses, and this has happened before, might be hiding in some like bunker in a mountain where they're like, you know, they're only can only approach by horseback and then somebody drops a note through a well and they pick it up or whatever. Denaro was actually living in an apartment that he was renting from a childhood friend whose name he was using. Yeah. Actually living pretty openly in uh in Sicily during this, well, as far as, far as we know, at least the latter part of this period, who knows about the beginning. Um and this is actually a pretty important thing because, you know, a lot of mafia bosses throughout history, I mean, any any kind of cursory examination of uh, any of the Italian mafias will see that, you know, a lot of the times the bosses either have to go on the, on the run or they get arrested, but they still need to control the organization. And so Denaro was still able to do that uh, to the extent that he could through these sort of little slips of paper that they would he would send out. Uh, there's actually a special word for them, which I forgot. Pizzini. Like, really, Pizzini, yes. Mm -hmm. They're really thin sort of like slips of like wafer thin paper with orders written on them uh, or, you know, notes or directives or something like that, that he will basically give to couriers and the couriers will deliver those to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. There's something interesting about that as well, which is for all the sophistication that they developed, you know, in terms of how they conduct like criminal operations and whatnot, it's remarkable how many of the original methods 
that they developed yeah. are still in practice, you know, so passing those notes and stuff. Something as simple as that can foil all the the best electronic surveillance equipment in the world. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just little things like that that help explain how they've managed to survive this long, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you mentioned that because a big thing in Italy is basically these sort of like real widespread use of wiretaps for mafia connected individuals. In fact, this has become sort of a point of contention in the Italian government with people, um, actually a lot of kind of conservative politicians saying that the widespread and, and uh, use of wiretaps in Italy needs to come to an end. And the sort of counter argument against that what's playing out in the Italian Senate uh, or excuse me, the Italian parliament, is that uh, they need these sort of methods in order to combat the mafia. And I will say, although Denaro did not get caught because he was making phone calls or anything like that, the police actually eventually did catch him because of phone calls that other people, well, this is what they're saying, they figured out uh, essentially how to catch him via wiretaps and via you know tapping the phone of people that were connected to him, which led them to realize that he had cancer, which you know, sort of led them to be able to track him down at a cancer clinic. However, he was for the past 30 years living in this, you know, uh, rather open lifestyle. He was still making a ton of money from these protection rackets from Cosa Nostra involvement in the drug trade. Uh, and he was also big into, and this is actually a, a pretty big, I was sort of not really surprised to find this out, but sort of amused to find this out. Uh, they were big into green energy at Cosa Nostra, and particularly Denaro. He he saw a lot of money in the solar panelization of sunny Sicily. And uh, in fact, one of his pretty close associates who was basically functioning as a front for Denaro and also funneling him you know, money and all this kind of stuff, uh, was a big player in the solar panels in green energy, renewable energy game and was arrested a few years ago because of his links to Denaro. As we will find out, is actually illegal to even associate with members of the mafia at this point. Um, you know, he's actually kind of come close to being caught a few times in the, in the, in the past uh, 30 years. Uh, in fact, a British guy was arrested a couple of years ago, and I think maybe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe in like Brussels uh, at a cafe because the uh, the Italian police were led to believe that he was Denaro. He did not turn out to be Denaro, but in fact, just a regular old bloke enjoying a cappuccino. How haunting a sentence is that? The a British man who was a mafia associate was caught in Brussels. Yeah. It's like the, the trifecta of evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the big problems the Italians ran into is they never had fingerprints of him, mm. which is like also feels very old school. So they never had fingerprints. They had like a shred of DNA, um, but it was really tough for them to get any um, like evidence of him, basically, which is kind of, it feels like a movie. I mean, all, all mafia stuff to me feels like a movie because so much of it has been in the movies, yeah. I guess, maybe. Um, but it's like for years they were speculating that, you know, oh, he's had all this plastic surgery. Oh, we've seen him in Brazil. Oh, we've seen him in Britain. Oh, we've seen him. I always felt like they, the like mafia, you know, members had kind of like, teased out some of those rumors themselves to kind of keep people chasing around. It reminds me a little bit of the like Whitey Bulger stuff, you know, it's like he also was yeah. caught just basically at home. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, they're, they're very sophisticated in how they can manipulate like the media and yeah. so disinformation, you know, to throw the cops off their, their tails and stuff. 
Well, one thing, you know, Liz, you mentioned fingerprints. And I figure if the Italian police did want his fingerprints, they could do worse than to check the controller of his Xbox. Because by all reports, Denaro was a uh, dedicated, I'll say, gamer. And in fact, uh, Matt, you explained to us on Saturday exactly what game he was good at playing. Right. Yeah. I don't know how true this is, but an Italian friend of mine has told me that he was obsessed with a game called Pro Evolution Soccer, which back in the 2000s, that was the um, football game, soccer game. And apparently he was so good at it that while he was conducting this low-level gang war, he would leave his safe house to do hits and then come back and progress on the Master League season that they have on there, on like the hardest difficulty setting. And he managed to complete it with like full achievements while carrying on this gang war. Um, I, d- I kind of want that to be true. I don't know how true it actually is, though. Well, I will say this. He does have a nickname, and you might be like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. And it does sound fairly scary because the nickname is Diabolic. However, it becomes less scary when you find out that Diabolic is the name of an Italian comic book character. So what we have here is a modern gangster, by which I mean a fucking nerd. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he has been kind of just chilling at home. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of been remarked upon quite a few times in many media write-ups about his arrest at how openly he was living. Like he was friends with, uh, other people at the cancer clinic he was going to, you know, he would text them and talk to them. They did not know, or so they say that he was a mafia boss. Um, but they caught him. This is what the Italian police say, because they had you know, these through wiretaps on his associates, there was references to somebody not named, but they figured it was Denaro having cancer. And so they, I don't know if Italy has HIPAA. Hell, I don't even know if Italy has nurses, but they basically track him down by seeing if people at various cancer clinics in Sicily match Denaro's description. They found one guy who did not have cancer, who also happened to be a childhood friend of Denaro's, and as it turns out, his landlord who was checked into a clinic, and so the police set up a bus for him there with about, I think, 200 carabinieri, which is like uh, Italian federal police, uh, and uh, and they fucking caught his ass about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting as well because there are already rumors circulating that he was actually traded to the cops by mm. a rival which is not without precedent either in the history of the mafia. His predecessor, Bernardo Provenzano, mm-hmm. is also rumored to have traded his predecessor, uh, Toto Shorty Rina, to the cops in the early 90s. So this is part of a long tradition, really. So Denaro, I mean, much has sort of been said about like he's sort of being the last of this old breed. And I, to be clear, again, I want to I want to sort of hammer this home. It's not like old breed like he's from the 1950s. By old breed, they literally mean the early 1990s and like you know mid to late 1980s. Yeah. But he's sort 30 of thirty la- years ago for everyone <laughs> yes. who wants to freak out when they yes. hear that. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but it's true. I mean, he is sort of the you know the the most notorious. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of guys who are still around from back then. But he's a pretty notorious figure from back then who was connected to some pretty big uh, events, events which we'll be talking about throughout this series. Um, and his arrest does mark a pretty big deal, and it's 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 being show sort of showcased as a symbol of the decline of Cosa Nostra 
And I think it's inarguable that Cosa Nostra has definitely um, lost its sort of pride of place that it once had. Low-key fall-off. Yeah, mm. exactly. They yeah. did a classic low-key fall-off. But they uh, they are not totally gone, and his arrest doesn't necessarily mean – in fact, it definitely does not mean that Cosa Nostra or the Sicilian Mafia is going anywhere. Well, as we go through the history of this, what you'll find is – um, the story of organized crime in Italy is the story of recurring patterns. Mm -hmm. And one of the recurring patterns is people saying, finally, the mafia is on its, it's on its knees. You know, it's in its death throes. They've been saying this since the 1860s, you know, yeah. and somehow <laughs> it always comes back. So Cosa Nostra comes out of a beautiful little citrus-filled island called Sicily, or as Americans call it, Sicily. Matt, pretend that we are on the second season of a TV show that I've never seen called The White Lotus, and that I assume does take place in this region, and take me to southern Italy. <laughs> okay. So, um, southern Italy, historically, has been a very poor region with a lot of unemployment, a lot of political corruption, and because of that, the the Italian mafias have found a lot of purchase down there. They, you know, it's no coincidence that they originate from that region. So, although we'll be talking about uh, Cosa Nostra specifically, there are actually three main mafias in Italy. You have the Camorra, which is in Campania. Uh, your listeners might be more familiar with them because of the the book, the film, and the TV show called Gomorra. Um, mm. I have a few issues with the TV show, to be honest, but the film and the book are really good. The yeah. book's um, fantastic. Yeah, the book is great. Um, I I I, I like I like the movie a lot. I like the TV show too. Um, the TV I show for me, it, it it feels like it stretches reality quite a lot. It makes it seem like Naples is the Wild West or something, yeah. where people are just getting executed in broad daylight, and mm. it it isn't like that, you know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I it it did seem very. A lot of people get killed in that show, like yeah. constantly. Yeah. Um, but the book is also, I, I will say, I was sort of surprised. It's really wonderfully written, too. Yeah. Yeah. Saviano is still like, isn't he still like kind of in hiding a little bit? <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. He's still living under yeah. um, police protection because of that. Yeah. Um, and I think now he mostly focuses on following the money, you know, that the organized crime right. groups in Italy make. Yeah. That's what led him to conclude that the city of London is the most corrupt area in the world, the most corrupt square mile in the world, I think he called it. Um, so a Camorra clan is structured a little bit differently to the, the other two we'll be talking about because they're more um, horizontal. Clans are much smaller. They're more fluid, which makes them a little tricky to investigate on the part of the police. Mm. Uh, and they also famously have women bosses. If anyone's seen The Sopranos, yes. yeah. They, there's an episode where they go to Italy and Tony ends up doing business with his cousin, who is a female Camorra boss. So that mean, that would mean that the Soprano crime family is an Italian-American Camorra organization. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's funny. I've read this like Italian study that said that they were studying uh, some of the female bosses and they found that a lot of the younger men – Particularly and younger boys, because the Kamora also uses obviously like a lot of children Famously, to talk about, yes. but that they were more, um, they were like more likely to follow orders and like do a better job under female bosses than yeah. under male bosses, yeah. which is, which is, you know, you know, hashtag 
girl boss, I guess. I but, guess, yeah. Um, it's a pretty fun name. I guess the most famous female boss they had would be um, Pupeta Mareska, I think she's called. She's known yeah. as like the movie, the the movie queen, uh, Kamara boss. She was, uh, yeah, she was known to enter like loads of beauty pageants and stuff in Naples before she became a mobster. Um, and then the other thing about Kamara as well is they are the least enthralled to the more esoteric mystical traditions of the mafia mm. syndicates you were mentioning just now that they don't mind recruiting kids and stuff and it's not unusual to see uh, baby cuppers running yeah. the open air drug markets and stuff like that and then you have um in calabria you have the undrangheta which is a very strange looking word mm. the undrangheta are the ones who hew the most closely to those mystical esoteric traditions and for a long time they were seen as the rural backwards hicks of the three groups. They were seen as like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre style hillbillies. But arguably, they are the most powerful criminal syndicate in the entire world. Um, and because they recruit from extended kin networks, so they rely on blood relatives and so on. Yeah, That makes them very, very difficult to penetrate and it makes it nearly impossible to flip anybody to get informants mm. and snitches. Uh, British listeners might be familiar with the London-based Arakri and Fazari clans. They have heavily infiltrated the city of London. They're involved in a lot of white-collar crime and money laundering. For non-British listeners, the city of London is kind of like Vatican City. It's its own little state within a state, but it's for right. a different type of child molester. And Yes. Yeah. More of like a banker type. Yes, yes. Anglican <laughs> banker child molesters. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got this from the Financial Times. It says, the Andrangheta clans have an estimated turnover of $45 billion a year, which is more Shit. than all the Mexican cartels combined. So that should give you an idea. And obviously all that money has to go somewhere. So the interesting uh, hypothetical is, well, what does that money buy and who does it buy as well? Mm. Um, and and then, where, and like where, what islands, yeah. basically? Yeah, <laughs> what new, yeah. what new jurisdictions is that money creating? Which is basically yeah. what it, yeah, you know what um, it is. And then the third one is Cosa Nostra, which is based in Sicily. This is the one that everybody is thinking about when they talk about the Italian mafia. Um, yeah, it's probably the most cr famous criminal organization in the world. Now, historically, the clans had the usual mafia structure, you know, with a you have a boss, an underboss, a consigliere. Then you have your capas who supervise groups of 10 soldiers. Um, they are overwhelmingly, whereas Camorra and Andrangheta, you could argue, were born more of poverty in the southern part of the mainland. Cosa Nostra were born of wealth and privilege. Uh, John Dickey has called them overwhelmingly a bourgeois phenomenon, which is, we'll get into the reasons why that is um and yeah they've historically been the ones who've attempted to govern and co-manage politics in the south of italy more than the other two um and they've been utilized as what's called an instrument of local government and this is mm -hmm. key really to understanding how they infiltrate the state and the local economy as well
So something that I, I mean, I, you know, to be clear to our listeners here, I am not an expert on Italy. I did think it was sort of like, up until we were, you know, really doing the research for this episode, I thought it was sort of like a Star Wars kind of thing, like a Jabba the Hutt sort of deal where it was like a fantasy, but I guess it is a real place. And I do know this though, that Southern Italy compared to Northern Italy might as well almost be a different country in terms of the um, economic aspects of it. It is very Mm -hmm. depressed economically. Uh, It has traditionally received far less uh, state subsidy and infrastructure and things like that. Uh, and has essentially created this like sort of bifurcated society in terms of like the North is this place where with a lot of luxury and, you know, and, and, you know, these beautiful cities and stuff like that. And the South is almost like a second world or third world country in many places. Yeah. Yeah. It was in learning about Italian history and coming to understand this divide between the regions, the North and the South, that I first began to feel like there were a lot of resonances with our own situation here in Britain, only it's reversed. You know, it's the South that's very wealthy and the North that's very poor. So I think that was why I became so interested in organized crime in Italy, but just the the economics of the country as well. I see a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, uh, the, the story of the uneven development, I mean, I hate saying the like, it's true that Italy has its own like, southern question basically which is why did the south not industrialize um and there are so many reasons that you could get into why that happened that we don't have time to get into on this episode but like the that that story of uneven development in italy is also the story of how the mafia like came to 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 rise specifically in sicily like you're talking about matt i mean mm. when I mean, I think that like, you know, when you look at how organized crime develops and where it develops, right, it's there needed to be a kind of vehicle for the South to enter the world market. And it wasn't through industrialization, which was happening in the North or had already happened in the North, right? And so these sort of like protection units, right, kind of emerge, these protection rackets rather, to kind of as a vehicle for the South to have any kind of place in like the lib- the new liberal world market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's... There's another issue as well, which is the more organized crime infiltrates the Italian economy, the more it depresses, you know, like uh, mm. its its economic growth and its productive capacity right. and whatnot, which then fuels reactionary politics. The more reactionary politics enter the Italian political system, the more scope there is for organized crime to expand even more. So it's a just a hellacious feedback loop, really. Totally. I think, too, there's this idea that, like, organized crime kind of sits beside the, like, real or the, like, formal economy, you know Mm. what I mean? Or, like, is maybe subordinate to it or, like, kind of like an element within it. But I, I think it's, like, important to understand, specifically in the Sicilian context, although I think elsewhere as well, that like the mafia is embedded as a productive force yeah. within the world market, within yeah. the the Italian market, but specifically within the world market, which I you know we'll get into probably in the second episode here. But like this is a very productive force um, that's responsible for a lot of a lot of Italian industry. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of useful to think about these three groups as 
networks of networks. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is sometimes they dwell inside the Italian economy and political institutions. Sometimes they sit outside of them, but it's always a kind of parasitical relationship that they have to the state. Um, I hope that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, that 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 is how I have always understood, you know, not only the Italian mafia, but mafias in general, because mm -hmm. the word has obviously, as people who pay attention to crime, even in the slightest sense, will understand like, you know, there's mafias in basically every country, uh, whether they're homegrown or, you know, sometimes there are mafias, you know, particularly the Italian mafia has links to a lot of other countries like Britain, you know, Germany. Um, but you know, the Russian mafia, the Albanian mafia, there's a lot of mafias in the middle East as well. Chinese mafias, Japanese mafias, uh, a lot of the time they serve as this sort of almost always actually they're like, a, they have a parasitical function mm -hmm. on the state where they're like, they almost like burrow themselves in like a tick and then, you know, a, a disease carrying tick even because they'll infect the bloodstream of the state, um, and they also sort of feed off of it. But then I guess it's the parasite, uh, the sort of the, the parasite analogy almost breaks down in a bit because especially in the case of Italy, um, sometimes it's almost, especially in the case of Sicily, uh, they, they serve the same function as the state yeah. or in place of the state yeah. in, 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 in some aspects of society. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a kind of situation where they have set up their own parallel uh, social structures, their own parallel like legal processes as well, you know, and mm -hmm. they make moves economically and politically and they issue a form of sentences as well against people they perceive to be traitors who live in their territory. And all of this takes place in parallel with the state. So that's, I guess, why it's not inaccurate to call at least Cosa Nostra um, a shadow state or certainly a, a criminal organization that has ambitions of being a shadow state. A parastate, really. Mm, yeah. yeah. So let's take a trip back in time uh, to Sicily in the 1800s, where, of course, my forefathers came from before they came to this country and became tailors, uh, pizza clerks, and heroin dealers here in the Lower East Side of New York City. Um you know, let's go to the birth of the mafia and really what birthed it. So we're in Sicily. It's the 1800s. What's going on, baby? All right, we're trying something a little different with the teasers. So we get a longer one. However, the teaser is over. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode... Uh, where we talk about the origin of the Sicilian Mafia, we talk about what's going on in New York, we talk about all this kind of stuff, head over to patreon.com slash pod, and we'll see you there. Jeff, 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 Jeff.